Song of Solomon chapter 7. We're going to jump into our text this morning. Uh, We're going to move quickly through this, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to Song of Solomon chapter 7 as we continue our sermon series called Love Song. And this sermon series has been through the whole book of Song of Solomon. If you've missed any weeks over the last four or five weeks, I'm going to recap you very briefly, okay? Chapter 1 was really all about these two individuals, Solomon and his bride-to-be. It was about their attraction to one another. Chapter 2 is where they began to court and they began to date and to see one another and to grow that love that they had for one another Chapters 3 and 4 is where it started to get a little bit juicy, and we see them in their honeymoon. They had their honeymoon phase, and then chapter 5 and 6, which was last week, we see Solomon and his bride having their first big conflict and how they worked through and processed through that. Well, this morning, we're going to be in chapter 7 and the early part of chapter 8, and we're going to talk about those deeper years into marriage after Solomon and his bride had been married for maybe years, if not decades, We're going to look into their marriage and what we see from it in the middle years of it. And we're going to see that if love lasts, if it makes it, if you endure, how deep those roots of love can grow. And let's be honest, because many of us are in this place, love is not quite as exhilarating in the later years of marriage. There's not as much adventure. There's not as much youthful passion. Nevertheless, if love grows deeper and love lasts, What we find is that it is as strong as it ever was. And I love the fact that I get to preach this message to you all because I'm assuming that most of you are in this place. You're in those middle or later years of marriage where you've lived a little bit. You've seen life. You've experienced life. You've been through life's ups and downs with your spouse. And real life has definitely set in and the honeymoon for the most part is over. And the person that you wake up to every morning is probably not the same individual that you said I do to at the altar all of those years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like the hair has begun to recede. The hips have begun to expand. You know, the wrinkles are deeper than they ever were. Hair now grows in really strange places that you wish it didn't. You guys know what I'm talking about, and you also know that those six-packs, guys, those six-packs that you once sported are now spare tires. Things have just changed, but here is my prayer and here is my hope, is that for you, that even though the spouse that you said I do to all of those years ago, you still love them deeply, even though they are in some ways very different people, my prayer is, is that they are better versions of the people you married all of those years ago. Because you've grown together in Christ and because you've grown together in the Lord. And so before we get into our text this morning, I thought it would be fun to have a little friendly competition because we're going to talk about a love that lasts this morning. And so I want to have a little friendly competition with everybody and just see where everybody's at in their longevity in marriage. And so I thought it would be really fun to see who's been married the longest. I know my crowd. I know my audience. So we're not going to start with five years of marriage, but... If you, if you have been married more than 25 years, here's what I would love for you to do. Just go ahead, you, you and your spouse, go ahead and stand. If you've been married 25 years or longer, go ahead and stand right there where you're at. All right, so we're talking, we're talking probably 75% of the congregation. All right, this is where we start eliminating people, all right? If you've been married 30 years or more, stay standing. If not, go ahead and sit. All right, 40 years, stay standing. 
50 years. Stay standing. All right, we're starting to really weed some people out. All right, 55 years? All right, here we go. 60 years. All right. 70 years? Oh my goodness. 70 years. Congratulations. Here, here is your reward. I got a little set of coffee mugs for you. And uh, one of these mugs is, is for you. And it says, Mr. Right. And one is clearly for your spouse, who is Mrs. Always Right. And if you've been married 70 years, how many years has it been? 72 years. Congratulations. Let's give him one more round of applause. That is, that is a tremendous accomplishment. And I'm guessing you know that when you're Mr. Right, your bride is always Mrs. Right. And so, uh, man, we've grown and we've learned a few things through marriage over the years. And there's a lot of experience in this room. But, um, man, our culture is very different than 70 years ago. Maybe when some of you first got married, maybe 50 years ago when you first got married, or even 25 years ago when you first got married. Our culture is so different that we now treat marriage as if it's a, a, this disposable thing, almost like a diaper, you know, like a used diaper. You put it on, you wear it until it gets soiled, until it gets dirty, until it gets stinky, until you're tired of it, and then you take it off, you switch it, and you start all over again. You rinse, wash, and repeat, all those kinds of things. And for our culture, it really looks at marriage as if it's something that's disposable. And at best, most of our culture, even if it doesn't treat it as disposable, at best, maybe our culture looks at marriage and it treats it as something that is to be tolerated or something to be endured. In fact, I ran across this tombstone. I found, a, I found it on the internet, this tombstone that was found in a graveyard some years ago. And it had this inscription on the headstone. It said this, to my darling Walter. May he rest in peace until we meet again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like as if, as if in marriage, the only time you're going to find peace is when you're six feet under. That's how our society kind of treats marriage. And we look at it that way. But what we're going to do is we're going to look into the book of Song of Solomon chapter 7 this morning. And what we're going to see from scripture is that it paints a very different picture of successful marriage. And I want you guys to look into this with me this morning because Solomon and his bride, they give us a glimpse into their relationship where the new car smell is gone. The thrill of the chase has really started to slow and the cares of life have really crept in. And I'm guessing that many of you can relate to this stage in Solomon's life with his bride. And even still, what we look at and what we see in chapter 7 is we see a relationship that is still thriving, and it is not stale, and it's as deep as the day that they said, I do. Because their love deepened with the passing of time. And, you know, I was reading through this text the last couple of weeks and just kind of really pouring over it and processing it, and I realized that there's a lot of wisdom that we can gain on how to build a relationship and a love that lasts. And how, when that love lasts over the course of years, if not decades, it continues to deepen and deepen and deepen. And there's so much wisdom in this passage that I want to share with you. And I'm going to, I'm going to just throw out this little disclaimer from the, from the outset. It's going to get a little juicy at times, okay? Some of you might blush just a little bit. I promise you I will, okay? Because my parents are in the room. But we're going to work through this and we're going to be, we're going to be responsible with the text. We're not going to be irreverent this morning. So I want to look at what a deep love, uh, where it comes from and how we get to that place 
uh, in our relationships. And I'm hoping that as you brought in your program this morning on the inside, we've got some, some blank lines for you. I would love for you to grab a pen and take some notes because if, if you're anything like me, we're all still learning about this thing called love and we can all learn something from Song of Solomon this morning. So take some, take some notes. I think it'll do you some good and maybe give you something practical to go home and work on. But we're going to start in Song of Solomon chapter 7. And we're going to read the first six verses of that chapter. And we're going to really just kind of break this down as we go. He says, How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master's hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck, your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabin. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns, crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in its tresses. Anybody else feel like it's getting warm in here a little bit? Get a little warm in here. And, and, and again, this may not be awkward for you, but I'm preaching to my parents here this morning and my youth pastor. And so we're going to work through this as, as best we can. But man, what I see here is that this is a beautiful, poetic narrative that gives us all kinds of insight into how to develop a deeper love and how to establish love and romance within marriage. And so here's the first point of wisdom that I pulled out from, from Solomon. Number one is this, a love that lasts leads to a deeper physical attraction. A love that lasts leads to a deeper physical attraction. Now understand that Solomon at at this time was the wealthiest and one of the most powerful men on the planet. He was a king in Israel and he had all kinds of money and all kinds of leisure and pleasure at his disposal. Because of its strategic location, Israel controlled, understand that Israel controlled all of the land routes and the sea routes in between Africa, Asia, and Europe. And so if anything was getting traded, it was going through Israel, which meant that Solomon had the right to tax anything that was moving through his nation. And he was so wealthy, you all know, you all know that, you know, Solomon was one of the wealthiest men in history, but estimators say that Solomon's present day net worth, if it were adjusted for inflation, would be over $2 trillion. This was a man that had literally everything that life had to offer in his day and age. He had everything at his fingertips, and he was wealthy, and he was powerful. He had 1,700 women in his harem, yet this one woman brought him to his knees. This one woman made him weak in his knees. Because her beauty captivated him. And after gaining all of the, all the things that the world had to offer, Solomon really still has the hots for his bride. And many people believe that this woman in the Song of Solomon, this woman was Solomon's very first bride. And it was the love of his life. And all of these other women came in years down the road. And he did not love them the same as he loved this woman in this narrative. But Solomon adored his bride. And he, he did not hold back. He showed no restraint and offering up his, his adoration for her. So keep in mind that Solomon and his bride, again, we'll call her Shulamite, um, we'll call her Shulamite, but Solomon and his bride had been married for years at this point, if not decades. And Solomon is still finding ways 
to compliment his bride. He's still finding new things about her that turn him on, that attract him to her. And in verse, uh, verse 1, he talks about her being a noble daughter. Solomon is praising this woman for who she is. He's praising not only her physical characteristics, but he's praising her character and her integrity. His appreciation for her has grown all through the years. And he sees her not as an old ball and chain, but he sees her as a royal queen. Folks, when was the last time you complimented your spouse, whether it's your husband or whether it's your wife? When was the last time you complimented them in that way? Where you lifted them up and you just admired them, not just for their physical attraction, but for who they are deep down inside and who God has made them to be. Ladies, I want you to understand this. I think you probably know this, so this might be a reminder. But ladies, your husband needs to know that you respect him and that you will follow him. And men, your wives need to know that you adore her, that you admire her, that you are attracted to her. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, many of you again have read this verse before. But Ephesians 5 verse 33 says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. A beautiful picture of a deepening friendship, a deepening relationship between husband and wife is that he adores her and he is attracted to her and he loves her with tenderness. And a beautiful picture between a wife and a husband is that she respects him. And it's not easy sometimes to humble ourselves and to esteem others above ourselves But usually, and you know this from experience, it goes better for you when you do, doesn't it? It usually goes better for you when you are complimentary more than critical. It goes well for you when you compliment your spouse more than criticize them and drag them down. And when we verbally build up the one that we love the most, it usually brings harmony into our marriage. You know, over the years, I've grown to appreciate all the little nuances about my wife. And some of them I'll keep to myself because they're very intimate and they're very personal. But there are others that I can share with you. Like she has this little giggle that she only shares with me. When we're having an intimate moment and we're talking, maybe the lights are out and we're just talking and I make her laugh. She has this little giggle that I can't even duplicate. It would be completely awkward. But I know I've never heard her share that giggle with anybody else. I know that that is just for me. I know that my wife, man, she, uh, she has like these perfectly shaped lips that just make me want to kiss her all the time. She has this streak of red in her bangs. She's got very dark, dark brown hair, but she's got this streak of red in her bangs that she's had ever since I've known her. And I'm like, that is very unique. And I love that about her. My wife, beyond her physical characteristics, she is just a godly woman. She loves Jesus. She loves ministry. She loves being a pastor's wife. She is like the perfect partner in ministry for me. She is a master with people. We will walk into a room and she's never met a stranger. There are literally times where I will walk into rooms and I will tell her, don't leave my side. Don't leave my side because I don't know how to start social interaction very well. I'm sometimes a little socially awkward. And and my wife is just a master at handling crowds and getting to know people. And so these are the things that, that I see in my wife that have grown over the years that maybe I didn't fully appreciate when we first met or when we first got married. But these nuances grow and I'm just more and more attracted to her because of them. And my guess is, is that your spouse has the same things that attract you to them. 
And you find that physical attraction that never really goes away. And I'm guessing that you, when I'm, when I'm listing all these things about my bride, you're thinking about your bride or you're thinking about your husband. And if you remember earlier back into the, into the book of Song of Solomon, Solomon was praising the outwardly noticeable things about his wife. He was talking about her hair. He was talking about her face. He was talking about her neck. But what we see in chapter 7 is he starts to go to things that only he would recognize because they're parts of, of his bride's body that no one would ever see in public. He's the only one that has access to these things and these parts of her, and he's tender toward her. And he builds her up, even if she's not the ten, that she once was. Even if she's not the supermodel that one day she was 40 years ago, he's still attracted to her. And she finds security in his compliments. I'm telling you, gentlemen, ladies, make sure that you are letting your spouse know how much you find your your bride or your husband to be attractive to you. And I think about this with my own bride, and we've been married 24 years, almost 24 years. It'll be 24 years next month we've been married, and I don't know how this is possible. Nobody has ever yet been able to explain it to me fully, but I am more attracted to her now than the day that I married her. And the only thing that I can guess or assume is because my wife has truly become my standard of beauty. Like, I have eyes for her and her only. She is the one that I want to impress. She is the one that I've given my heart to. And so I don't need the women that are on the TV. I don't need the women that are on the internet. I don't need the women on covers of magazines. And inside of magazines, what I want is I want to love my wife and I want my love for her to evolve and my affection for her to evolve as she evolves. And so every stage of our lives, she becomes more beautiful to me because my expectations and my admiration evolve with her. This is what a deep love looks like over the course of time. A love that deepens, a love that is strong when we complement each other. You know, Mark Twain once wrote this. He said this, I can live two whole months on a good compliment. I can live two whole months on a good compliment. Imagine how much longer your bride or your husband could make it if you would just praise them vocally and verbally. And Solomon goes on to praise his bride's stomach, her inner thighs, her breast, her neck, her head, her hair, all of these things. And there's so much here that we could spend time unpacking, but we just don't have enough time for it. But you get the point. Like Solomon is looking at his bride in the bedroom and he's saying, I still like what I see. I'm still physically attracted to you. And man, he just wants to let her know this. And he ascribes to her an infinite wealth recognizing that she brings to him not only pleasure, but she brings to him peace and protection as well. She was literally his greatest resume. You know, I think about, I think about that w- w- in my own marriage. And, you know, the thing that I hear for the last 24 years, this is what I've heard when people talk about me and my wife. Whenever we would get hired at a new church, this is our third ministry that we've served in, people say, you know what? Chris is okay but we love Becky. Chris is just okay, but we love Becky. People tend to be a little bit indifferent toward me because I'm not the most maybe charismatic person. I'm not the most outgoing or most entertaining personality. And so they tend to be a little bit indifferent toward me, but they love my wife. And they talk about how great she is. And you might think, man, that seems like a little bit of an insult, but I'll tell you what, 
It's actually one of the greatest compliments that you can pay me because I know who I am. I know I'm not much to look at. I know I'm not much to hang out with. But when you talk about my wife and how great she is, guess what? She chose me. She chose me. And that makes me look even better because she chose me. And so I tell her, it took me a long time. I think I just lost my battery. So I'm going to speak out loud or maybe come grab this microphone. But I tell her all the time that she is my standard of beauty and that she has grown more attractive to me over the years than when I first met her. So I think that when love goes deeper, when love lasts, we grow in deeper um, physical attraction. Let's jump a little bit further into um, Song of Solomon 7. Let's read verses 7 through 10. It says this, Solomon is continuing to move on in his narrative. He says, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. Man, a love that lasts leads next. It leads to a deeper pursuit and invitation. It leads to a deeper pursuit and invitation. Men, I want you to know this, and you probably already do, but a woman, in the, in the DNA of a woman, she wants to be chased. She wants to be pursued. Ladies, the heart of a man in the heart of a man, he desires to pursue you. He desires to, he, he, he loves the thrill of the hunt. It is in his nature to hunt. The thrill of the chase is something that we all look forward to. I think about it, back in the 70s and the early 80s, what TV show did we all love? The Dukes of Hazard. The Dukes of Hazard was one of the greatest television shows ever. And there was always a pursuit. There was always a chase, right? There was always Roscoe P. Coltrane who was chasing the Duke boys. And the Duke boys were always chasing the bad guys. There was this infinite, never-ending pursuit. And we loved it. We just ate it up because we are wired for this. We're wired to be chased. We're wired to pursue. And here's Solomon after all of these years. We see Solomon, he's still chasing his bride. He still desires her deeply. That word desire right there in in verse 7 where it says, she says this about Solomon. She says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. That word desire really means um, uh, consuming. She's saying he wants to consume all of me. He wants every inch, every part of me. There's nothing that he wants me to hold back from him. He still loves me that deeply. He still wants to pursue me that intently. Solomon desired his wife with that kind of a passion. And unfortunately for many of us men, we've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. <laughs> it's gone. 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 Whoa. Yeah. You know it. You know the song. We've lost that love and feeling. And we just, we've stopped pursuing. You know, I went to, um, I went to South Africa on a missions trip about eight years ago. At the end of our missions trip, we got to do an African safari. It was phenomenal. We drove through all of this property, and we had one of those covered those uh, uh, those topless trucks. We had no doors on the side, and they actually drove us into this lion's den. This lion's den was about five, maybe ten acres, and they drive us right into this lion's den. And you know what? It was probably one of the most boring parts of the safari. And here's why: those lions had a handler that would come in every day and just drop off a side of meat. 
and just drop it right in front of them. They no longer had to chase. They no longer had to hunt. They no longer had to work for it. And they had lost their edge and boredom had set in. Folks, I'll tell you this, if you don't already know, is that boredom is the enemy of deepening marriages. When boredom sets in is where things start to go south, and there are far too many of us that have grown fond of the mundane. There's no longer adventure. There's no longer pursuit. Decades after the wedding, the woman who wants to feel desired and wants her husband to pursue her has given up hope that he might still chase after her and find her desirable. And then the husband gets tired. He gets tired of chasing what he feels like he can never catch, that he can never run down, and so boredom sets in. See, Solomon never stopped pursuing his wife, and his bride teased him just enough to remind him of what he had in her. She let him chase her, and she let him catch her. She invites him to enjoy every part of her because she knows that she's the only one who can fulfill his passion and his desire. And both the pursuer and the pursued, Roscoe and the Duke boys, They all win in the end, don't they? And you didn't think that I could tie in the Dukes of Hazzard to a sex life. I just did it. I never thought I would do that in my life, but there you go. We all have a desire to chase. We all have a desire to be pursued. And this is what Solomon and his bride did. And the beauty of a love that goes so deep is found even a little bit further into verse 9 where it says, In your mouth like the best wine. And she takes over immediately and says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. This love is so deep. This intimacy is so real. And they're so familiar with one another that they're finishing each other's sentences. They've pursued each other. They've grown deeper in their love. And now they're at this place of intimacy where they know what each other is thinking. Let's read on verse 11 and 12. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the great blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The third piece of wisdom that I notice here is that love that lasts leads to deeper friendship. Solomon and his bride became deep friends. This love that is still vibrant between this couple has gone way beyond just physical. The bride here wants to spend time with Solomon. She's saying to him, let's get away. Let's spend some time together. She's saying, let's go on an adventure. Let's get out. Let's steal the moments that are precious. Solomon, I know you're important. Solomon, I know you're powerful. I know everybody wants a piece of your time and we feel like we're pulled apart by the world, but let's just find some moments where we can stay together because you're my best friend and we need to be together let's live life to the fullest and if we can frolic in the fields if we can if we can go make out in the vineyards then winner winner chicken dinner you know what i'm saying like if if it comes to that then all the better but really what they wanted to do was just be together and while they still enjoyed the physical part of their relationship they have moved much deeper than the physical attraction and the youthful passion they've come to a place where they can express, where love is expressed by their presence together. You know, I read this book a few years ago on the life of Moses. Moses had an intimate and deep friendship with God. You all know his story. At the end of his days, because Moses sinned against God one time, he didn't speak to the rock, he struck the rock. 
God was forced to punish him, and his punishment was that he would not be able to go into the promised land. And so God takes Moses up onto this mountaintop and says, Moses, look over into the promised land. This is as close as you get. This is as far as you go. And what I notice about Moses is that he never fought God in that moment. He never begged. He never pleaded. He never groveled. He just was okay to be with God. At the very end of his days, and this is what the book said. He said, he said this, by the time Moses and God were like an, by this time, Moses and God were like an old married couple who had loved and fought for so long that they had reached a deep level of understanding. They'd been through so much together that now it was enough to sit and rock on the front porch of life, each content just to know that the other is there. That was all it took to make life good. It was all it took to make it fulfilling. And isn't that really what the picture of a deep love is? That friendship where you just want to be with the one that you love? You know, my parents, my parents celebrated 49 years of marriage this year. That's a really big deal. I mean, we're looking forward to 50 next year. Uh, I think they're going to make it. I'm pretty sure they're going to make it. You know, you never know. The verdict might still be out. But either way, we think they're going to make it to 50. But here's the thing after 49 years that I recognize. I go over to mom and dad's house, you know, once every week, maybe once every couple of weeks, whatever it might be. And I'll go over there and they'll just be sitting out in their sunroom. And you know what they're doing out there? Absolutely nothing. They're just being tired together. After 49 years, they're tired together. And you know what? They're okay with it. They don't need to entertain each other. They don't need to talk all the time. They don't need to fill the quiet. They don't need to impress one another. They don't need to accomplish things. They're just happy to be present with one another. And sometimes it seems boring, but in some ways it's beautiful. Because their friendship has gone that deep where they don't have to just fill all of the silence. When you develop a love that lasts, man, it goes deep to where you want to delight in the other person's presence. You become more than lovers. You become deep friends. The fourth piece of wisdom that I noticed from this passage, lastly, is that love that lasts leads to deeper devotion. It leads to deeper devotion. In fact, I want to read chapter 8, the first four verses as we continue on into our text. Oh, that you were like a brother to me, she says, who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. Starting to get a little weird, okay? Uh, I don't really understand. Well, we're going to talk about what it means. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So at the very beginning of chapter eight, we see this weird like relationship that starts flirting with like brother sister stuff. And it's a little bit awkward, but if you understand the context of which she was talking, what you need to understand about Jewish culture is that back then it was highly inappropriate for a husband and a wife to show affection in public. They would not hold hands. They would not put their arms around one another. They would not kiss. They would not even give a peck on the cheek. It was just considered scandalous and inappropriate. And what Solomon's bride is saying right here is, I'm devoted to you. And if I could, I would love to treat you like my brother because the only person that a female could show affection to of the opposite sex in public would be her brother, whether it be a hug, an embrace, or a peck on the cheek or whatever. It was only her brother. And she's saying, I wish you were kind of like that. So I could just show you off in public. I wish that there was freedom for me to show my dedication and my devotion to you. 
Man, I love this because what we see is that Solomon and his brides, love continues to go deep and all she wants to do is show him off. All she wants to do is prove her love to him in front of the crowds, in front of the watchers and the ongoers. And man, as a husband and wife, as they work at the art of marriage and they give their heart to one another, in doing so, their hearts expand and their love continues to deepen. And that devotion develops even further. And this is, what, this is what we're seeing from Solomon and his bride. They deeply loved each other and they were devoted to expressing it within the confines of marriage. And this is what it comes down to, folks, is that when your love deepens with your, with your bride or with your husband, it continues to go deeper. You get to that place where physical attraction is certainly still there and you still want to pursue and you want to be pursued and you become friends, but you get to this place where it's so much more than all of that. There's a deep commitment that no matter what we go through, come hell or high water through thick and thin, we are together and I'm devoted to you no matter what. Folks, this is the kind of relationship that we need to be striving for. Whether you've been married 72 years, whether you've been married for 50 years or 15 years, or you're still looking toward marriage in your future, this is the example. This is what a deep love looks like. And so many of us, we get caught up looking at all of the examples around the world around us, and we say, oh man, that's, that must be in popular culture. That must be what healthy marriage looks like, but that's not it at all. We need to take our focus off of culture and those that are around us that are in maybe toxic marriages and relationships and we need to look to scripture and say, this is what it looked like for Solomon. This is what I can aspire toward. This is what I can shoot for. This is what I want my marriage to look like in two decades. So for each and every one of us, as we close this thing out, I want you to remember that a a love that lasts, a love that goes deeper and deeper, there is still physical attraction, there's still pursuit, and there's deep friendship, and there's deep devotion. So chase after those things as we chase after Christ together. Let's close in prayer.